It's KZMU, Moab Community Radio. You're tuned in on your dial at 90.1 and 106.7 FM. And we're also heard worldwide online at kzmu.org. This is Molly, News and Public Affairs Director here at the station, popping in for our talks. Richard Codd, our intrepid host, is on vacation. We're so jealous. But we worked out with me and Richard, we worked out what are we going to do for this art talks that um, you won't be live. And we have the perfect thing, dear listener. Last fall, the Moab Arts and Recreation Center, along with Back of Beyond Books, held a poetry reading on the theme Uncommon Time. And we had the wherewithal, actually, the Moab Arts and Recreation Center, um, the folks there had the wherewithal to record this event with the hope that we would someday broadcast these poems on KZMU. And today is the day, dear listener. Here on Art Talks in this next hour, we are going to um, take a trip back in time to uh, the Uncommon Time poetry reading that was held back in October. The theme was sort of a prompt for poets to consider their relationship to time and how it has changed in recent years. And authors of poetry and prose were invited to respond to this theme with works um, yeah, that explore an uncommon time in their lives. A list of writers were then asked to read their works aloud at this event, and there was an open mic following the official reading. So we're going to hear a few of those who decided to share spontaneously with all of the uh, poets' permissions, of course, that were um, got back in the fall. So thank you so much for tuning into this special episode of Art Talks. Uh, we'll start off with part one of this poetry event. Um, again, this is from the Moab Arts and Recreation Center and Back of Beyond Books. The theme, the event was called Uncommon Time. And this part one of the event um, starts off with the host, Ben Alter, kind of explaining what the event is all about. Enjoy. I don't want to say too much about how we came to the prompt tonight because I think what we're trying to figure out in what sounds like a, a terrible thing to say, but how to capture uh, the common denominator in a way that's tasteful. Um, so much of what we think about in terms of time has really been distorted in the past few years, I think for some obvious reasons, but maybe those drown out the less obvious reasons that are just part of your life. Um, and so we thought a lot about how, how can we bring ourselves together through time, how can we kind of deconstruct time and really try and mm, just bring something out in words that you know is kind of devoid of that, but also respective of it. Um, so, with all that in mind, I'm gonna read our uh, prompt for tonight, and then I'm gonna invite up some readers who submitted work in response to the prompt, uh, and then we'll also open it up to folks who want to read their own work or even someone else's work if they want. And a little open mic sesh at the end. So, on that note, the prompt for uncommon time is. Could we say that, as a community, it's been an uncommon time? Yet, to speak is to speak for yourself. What has been your relationship to time? Has time shown up as shapeshifter, one day elongated, the next day in short supply? Would you say your concept of time has changed over these past few years? Or, more broadly, when have you recognized an era of your life when time played a lead role? So Gerald Meyer's work has appeared in the Georgia Review, Puerto del Sol, Quarterly West, Yale Review, and other journals. His book, The Velvet Lounge on Late Chicago Jazz, was published by Columbia University Press. He lives in Baltimore and New Mexico, where along with writing, he pursues a range of experimental music projects, including the sound art duo Vibranium Experiments. 
Cheryl. Good evening, everybody. Uh, wonderful to be here in Moab, my first time. Wow. Uh, I'm processing at a breakneck pace, uh, just <laughs> walking around here, and uh, it's just wonderful. Uh, this is uh, from a work in progress called Moto, and uh, I have a little parenthesis here, uh, forays, and in various ways it gets around uh, the topic of time and things that happen with time. Uh, the moto is um, uh, a little concept that uh, came floating into the work that I'm experimenting with. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and let you hear uh, what I'm doing along that line. Moto, four A's. Number one, thinking about the moto idea. The moto is low profile, scarcely perceptible, an aspect of movement that gets used up and almost fails to register, or is an oblique ambient that travels with or between, or in some indefinite proximity to actions and events. I may want to think about the element of use that holds back from being used up, the tension of the holding back that makes possible use itself. A moto might be a sort of blossoming, an ephemeral flower out of time, or in it some different way. Number two, another story in the book about a witch light, again a journey involved. The map of the traveler's tale does not add up to the real world. Coming from the north, he crosses rivers and passes villages along several different routes that in truth do not connect. But he's following the witch light, which appears to be a lantern, but retreats as he approaches and so all night defies investigation. At the end of the night, when the writer nears his destination, the lamp stops moving off, and at a halt the writer goes to the source of the light and finds there a ball made of earth and the dry dirt and pebbles crumbled at the touch of his hand. The lump of matter is also the mountain ridges and canyons and the night he has just been passing through. That was how in the home village a witch, fashioning such a ball, knew that he was on his way and would arrive by noon. Moto. The word is around mojo a little bit. Something moves in two, maybe more places at once. Scales slide, scales cross, scales loop. I mean, how about the moto where I leave a party? I stop talking and go to my car and my friends are still there, 20 feet away, but I have said good night, and during the party I was talking <coughs> volubly, and now I will not call out anything further. I am done talking, and the big half moon with the golden tinge is above the ridge, and it is late, and I am high and elated, and my headlights find the track in the dark, and I go away from that place. Number four, the poet Wordsworth talked about spots of time, and spoke of certain feelings out in the night, among waters, shadows and solitudes, like a guilty thing surprised. A moto gently swings the invisible cloak of that surprise. Five, we're loading the picnic stuff into the bed of the pickup. Danny, Luke's brother, in from Eureka says, look at that, pointing to a steel chainsaw juxtaposed with a pretty ceramic plate carrying grilled chanterelles and rolled corn tortillas. I love the combinations. Luke agrees. Sometimes he says, I think that's my life. 
Six. I ask about the tectonics near Saddle de los Arboles. Scott says a fault shares there. A talkative guy in the dark of the party is saying geology is philosophy. And Luke says he agrees with that statement and stops right there. I am the talkative guy. It's the dark on the porch. The cannabis from the cultivator friend. Growler beer, cider, the Pacifico cans I brought along just in case that everyone wants one of suddenly. It's dark on the porch and there's a metal chair right at the corner as if calling you to come sit down and see if you'll fall off. I am talkative and pacing and I cannot see much of anyone's face in the dark and propose outrageous, goofy things. I lose track of who I am and my primary joke is the sound of words and attempted buzzes off their spontaneous incompatibilities. It could be an allegory of nobody here likes me. I hear Oleg talking and I say, oh man, I thought that was coming from a stereo speaker near Bree's shoulder. But he's curled up on the floor near her knee. And his face in the dark is like a strange baby's. He says something about a point of geology, authoritatively. And I say, where did you get that? Are you looking at your phone? Oleg says, no, I thought it through in my mind. Your mind? No maps, no references? Nope. It's all mine. I figured it out. We put up with him because you know, someone says to someone else. Loud for me to hear. I, the talker, clutch pearls or something. The talker gets a laugh here and there and keeps going, observing repose, turnabout, fresh provocation. I'm with four or five friends on this dark porch and some of them are also on a chair around the floor at the edge where the porch drops off. A big half moon is just above the ridge and is taking on color. The melon gold aura. A moon for mind eating, for soul fooding, for goopy as hell. I've been taken over by the talkative thing. Any second I could get hurt or hurt somebody. Easy as falling off a porch edge chair. The talker is flipping, flippant. Anything that comes also goes. Talker says Chrysocola has healing virtues. For what, somebody beautiful? I'm sorry, for what, asks somebody beautiful? Love disease, Talker says. They nod and their eyes are bright and indifferent. <coughs> the dark night and the happy risk in it sort of pulse with a very small motion. A clownish motion, foamy, frothy almost. Like air could be pulling glitter wool. If something goes awry, I will be paying for it. Not that it need be an expensive loss. Just that there's a chance of it. I could stumble, you know, I won't stumble. Ha ha. It makes for a mild moonlight delight. A moto is little, maybe. Like a modicum. A spice. A dash. A touch. Seven. The moto thing cannot linger much. Quick, quick. Cleaning off the loose stuff was doing this <clears throat> near the top of a walking stick, hadn't considered it before. I had taken tiny globs of sap from the tough bark of a very tall pinion. The bark hard and dense and it was like sap was barely able to squeeze out. Then I inserted, inserted the globs into the fresh space I had made, <coughs> cleaning off the loose stuff, ragged branch wood that fell apart as I did so. Moving out of the way, way as someone, something else is also moving out of the way. 
twice this weekend backing out the truck and another driver making way so it will be easier and safer. So we are both moving at once and together. This seeing the same motto that happens with walking and both walkers move out of the way. Also the awkward space thing. The space skews sort of seems to be changing dimensions like we can bump anyway. Someday fall in there alone or together. Our next reader is Allison Anders. Allison grew up in the rainy forest of Washington. They moved to Moab having never been here before, right as the pandemic began. Allison is a passionate environmentalist, outdoor educator, and sunset seeker. Awesome. Time feels like a friend I don't have the energy to catch up with. I sink into the lumpy pillows of placation. I let time get away. They keep going and I don't know what they're up to. My fingers scroll leagues of content that slips through my neural pathways, leaving nothing behind. Maybe I should call them. Um, and then I wrote one that's very different than that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, good. Um, okay, measuring time and erosion is what this one is called. Sandstone pillars melt in the heat of the sun, the beat of the rain. Sand sloughs off, exposing the castles and temples beneath. Water running over my toes gives voice to the rocks. They sing and rejoice to be heard. The river sinks down, exposing earthen increments. I feel a stronger attachment to time as the shifting world around me rather than a ticking of numbers and milestones. As I pay attention, I've begun to see the signs of time. They bring me back to the present. As my body grows and erodes, so does the world around me. Next, we have Brian Parkin. Brian Parkin has lived in Grand County since May of 2001 and worked as a gallerist, photographer, and educator. He currently teaches English at Grand County High School, where students know him as Mr. Brian and makes photo montages of old copies of Life Magazine for fun. <laughs> Brian. Hello, everybody. This is just called Time. A second spent, the minutes went, hours passed, and days that last. Weeks whoosh by, months multiply. Years that count, decades mount. My life of 22,951 days accumulates, and for more, I wait. <laughs> Next we have Susan Roche. Susan says she's followed two different paths into writing poetry. One has been reading and teaching about poets who write from the hyphens between cultures. She's inspired by how they see in multiple directions at once and tell of realities more complex than they first appear. Another path has been following the long, compelling call of the Red Desert, which draws out the expression of her strongest feelings for place and for people. She wants to learn how to write more about social justice issues. Susan. Hey, everybody. Uh, I thought I'd read three pretty short poems. Um, 
that I realized in being stimulated by the prompts um, that these are, are kind of three stages that weren't necessarily linear uh, of my relationship to time during these past couple of challenging, intriguing, amazing years. The first where I, although I feel, feel scattered, I'm sort of still in the lap of time, looking for solace, just rocking in it. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is where I'm trying to negotiate, I think. This is interpretation after, right? <laughs> <laughs> but looking <Expert> back. <laughs> um, where I'm trying to negotiate for time to favor me more. And the third one is a, about a violent experience of my wanting desperately to escape the spooling of time. Mm -hmm. So the first one is called River Watch, and I wrote this when Bill, my husband, and I were over at the Overlook over Rocky Rapid and just trying to seek solace from a crazy time. River Watch. The river's cliffs throw color, pink with a lick of orange, into the waters. Though rooted far out from the banks, mesas shine out the iron at their core. River breath adds silver ruffles. Sage-studded hills, tamarisk-trimmed, hold the current in invisible embrace. River-streaming sounds do soothe sometimes, but tonight they leave us scattered, fragmented. And yet, twilight shines, spreading shadow shawls over our tensed foreheads, our tight shoulders. Now feel this cooling air, breezed by the dragonflies whipping wings. Forgive the staccato way I have been tracing through our days, days we can't have known before. How could we have prepared? And even now, how can we know anything? How can we know what to do? except by stilling in the pink-orange light, except by listening to our own streaming rivers. <laughs> this next one is angling. Um, and I wrote this uh, on a challenge, <laughs> some of you help me with, um, to walk every day up Schaefer Lane in, uh, in Castle Valley up to the steep top and just to notice what was there. Um, and this was what happened on, on one of those days. It's called angling. Porcupine rims wavy red cliffs climb up the edge of our valley. The dirt lane to the base of the rim feels narrow, overtowered, steep. But if you time this well, you can walk up that lane while dusk rolls over you. And if you angle your gaze just right, you can watch the newest sliver of the white moon glitter at the rim's top lip, as though it stays in place just for you, as though at this end of evening the earth pauses its rotation, so you can remember that the coming night sky will swallow all its navy blue, will roll itself inside out under the shine of the sliced moon, giving way to each new morning's slant of light, to every noon's brave yellow gaze, to the fractured moon owning its monthly fullness, and maybe even to your own angled self, less afraid on that day to come than you feel right now. <laughs> and this last poem is, is something that I wrote 
not during the pandemic, but it seems so, um, it's like such a report of what I was feeling just the day before yesterday when um, I had to race to find a phone to call 911 from Hike where Bill wasn't able to continue. And I, I found myself after the search and rescue got there and Bill's fine actually, but I thought he was gonna die on the trail. Um, while I was waiting for them, I, I realized that I could have walked up to where they were bringing Bill out, but I couldn't do it because I was, I was having this violent refusal to be in the, the time moving forward because I didn't want to know the worst news that I felt they were going to tell me. Um, <coughs> so this isn't about that, but it's how I felt on Friday. Dream, dream of nowhere, half awake and afraid, tension held between lost in the ever dream and waking to never found. I turn back to sleep. On my right leg hangs a rope hobble, wired into a stiff, cracked raincoat whose jagged edges gouge my skin. Strung into tatters, I cannot dream of red rock slopes of swept and spackled sky, of blue flax flower pods. I cannot dream of you, but only of the grim bus people huddled in the back under scratchy caps. They watch, confer, decide. They do not believe I am who I am. They yank at the rope, laugh when the raincoat rips me. Unable to see me clean through bare, they thrust me off the bus. I stagger to follow a running girl who dashes through old oak leaf litter, scrap wood, and nails. She loves me, but loses me in a vast and empty square, where I stand unattached, dreamt by no other, the only one who has lost. The harbor, the station, the depot, the unending road, always the same unreachable. I half wake again, search in vain for the beckoning girl, afraid of not dreaming my way back home, afraid to come to mourning alone. You're tuned in to KZMU Moab Community Radio. We've been listening to some poems that were shared on the theme Uncommon Time during an event this fall that was held with the Moab Arts and Recreation Center and Back of Beyond Books. Um, Authors of poetry and prose were invited to respond to the theme Uncommon Time with works that sort of explore what that means to them in their lives. Um, So we're going to hear part two of this event. Um, Again, you're tuned into KZMU. This is Art Talks. This is a special edition of Art Talks. And thank you so much to the folks at the Mark who um, took time to record these poems. And thank you for the readers who gave us permission to broadcast their stories on the airwaves. All right. This next part, um, I believe, starts off with host Ben Alter um, talking a little bit about his own poetry. Okay. So on the schedule next, I have myself reading a a tiny bit, and then we're going to have Sherry close out the planned readers, and then the podium will be open to folks to read what they've written or maybe even something they just feel is relevant to the evening. So 
Um, I'll let you open that space up when you read. Okay. Um, I have three short pieces tonight, and <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about uh, not just um, time and, and the lack of common time, but also um, how the weather affects how I see time here. Mm -hmm. It feels so um, sudden, but also um, just so overbearing in a way where um, growing up, I was very used to seeing a front come in for, for quite a while and um, not really thinking of it as uh, breaking up my days and the way I perceive time. So um, these next two poems were kind of <clears throat> hatched when thinking about just the recent monsoon season we've had and some other thoughts I've been contending with. Um, this first one I don't really have a title for at the moment. <clears throat> like mud through a net, there is only so much of you that I hold on to, which is weighty, but little more than dirt. Caked in a culvert that must be made free, and so by grapples through debris and through dream, I am restoring the veins. Ruined a clean trough where steers drink, as your path was erratic, our likeness obscured, the immensity of common time all becomes dust covering the culture on display in this hacienda built up by your clay, but not as you offered. Um, this next one is called A Rare Thing and uh, has a lot to do with me thinking more about and classifying clouds, which I've only recently started to do uh, thanks to my partner, but it's actually quite entertaining. <laughs> So, <clears throat> buoyed by the royals, carry on cause, soar between the shafting sun and a rare thing, the mattice, rears over us. Its coats of arms, its peaceless chessboard, colors dusk with shields without reins. You find me a jar sunk in a wicker stool or beneath the carport as the pea-sized spatters Ringing the sheet metals, the wagon waste you find it elsewhere, spewed throughout West Country, sore cavalry's born bust. You see the Rons, unable to see the castle, but walking its cobbles, shoveling the graveled grains, protesting precipitation, and you see the Lisas, Contessas of the home mechanical shops, housing the wet axles, sud-stinging, lifeless garden grounds of tonnage. And this last poem is called Another Sip. On the morning, on the mesa with everything, rock from sky, from salt, from beyond fleece, rings of feather, reed grass lines, the pool center, sports cones like phages and falls like Hudson's beams received me with dark sentries. In the cave, I repel with a light grip and from the pool, another sip. And to round out this reading, we have Sherry, a native of Utah. Sherry Zollinger has a Bachelor of Science in History from Utah State University. She spent six years of her life living in Taiwan. Part of that time spent attending the Stanford Inter-University Program for Chinese Language Studies in Taipei. Her love of language has directly inspired her work as a poet. Her poems have appeared in the Sugar House Review, Redactions, Poetry and Poetics, and The Desert Voice. Her book, Carrying Her Stone, 
was inspired by the works of Auguste Rodin and Camille Claudel. She works at Back of Beyond Books in Moab, Utah as their lead buyer. Jerry. So just getting back from a trip, um, <clears throat> for me, time when you travel, time travel, traveling time, um, what happens when you travel, especially when you're there for some time and you get to move out of your common time <coughs> and, um, and then slipping back into your common time after you've been somewhere so wholly different than what you're used to. So I decided um, to share just three small poems um, based on my time, my travel time, actually. <coughs> Hong Kong. Haven Matrix and Mother Crossroads. I return to your streets with laid plans. Me, gritty traveler, eyeing your chic certainty, imprinting your city unswervingly. Upon the water, ferried to and from Kowloon in subtropical days, I grew up, took you in without question, and was granted familiarity. You, Mirror Island, whose reflection to this day conjures a girl who came of age deliberately distanced from home. London. To this, to this day she remembers the inverted sky where she flew for the first time down one escalator and then another to the tiled corridors of the London underground. How vital that flight, navigating Nest's edge of first awkward step onto the central line where graced by anonymity and atmosphere, tickets and transfers she practiced the art of individuation. Mm -hmm. And, okay, Paris. Icon of emotion, emoticon, embracing against and say, gainsay, channels and tunnels and channels, God be ye. Goodbye, embracing against and say, gainsay, 14 plus nights, a fortnight, God be ye, goodbye, soundscapes. 14 plus nights, fortnights, walk through smoke and fog, smog, soundscapes, pixelated, elemental, pictured, walk through smoke and fog, smoke glamour, without writs or glitz, pixelated elementals, picturing our breakfast together, lunch, brunch, glamour without writs or glitz, channels, tunnels, channels, our breakfast together, lunch, brunch. Icon of emotion, emoticon. So let's open it up to those that are interested. What, what are we thinking? Just uh, we had someone right here who came to okay. us. Okay. Let's start us off. Okay. Give us a brief intro of yourself. And yeah. Sure. Just give us. Tell okay. us who you are and come Thank on you. up. <laughs> Hi, my name is Chessie, and um, currently I live in Grand Junction, but I lived in Castle Valley for a while, so it's nice to see you. Every Other Death. 
Death of my dog. This time different than the first. Different dog, different circumstances. At least this time, I was able to hold her in my arms, allow my touch to reassure her with my love as her fluttering heartbeat faded away. My elderly pup passed away last night. It initially brought back floods of remembrances of the time before when I'd had to watch my previous dachshund die a decade earlier. Not merely die, but rapidly decline spasm and pain and throb in the throes of agony while I could only feebly stand by and watch, impotent and inept. I knew not how to relieve her. Panic sets in, then wells up again. I outlive her now, reliving her denouement. Then a fresh wound, this death. This time I was alone again. I had no one here to help me. I had to do the best that I could and my best was not all that great. Did I let death overwhelm me? Have I let it get the best of me again? Days later, a ghost cat emerged from out of the bag with a cavernous meow, soft like a yawn, swallowing me whole, yanking me into the gap. My pup's passing had suddenly brought upon me a besiegement of visitors, of memories, brought back every other death before that. Unplumbed, the embedded, impacted flashbacks sprung forth, startling me, exhumed, the safekeeping of forgetfulness stripped back, plunging me into a bottomless mine shaft of distress, secreted from consciousness, outward bound from deep beneath. From within me belched recollections, painfully cramped and concealed over so many compressed moons and seasons. Enshrouded reminders, downhearted and gut-wrenching. The time I let my cat Memphis, a Russian blue, out the front door to bask in the sunlight when a neighborhood dog came and suddenly bit her and tossed her around. I tried to take her to the emergency vet, but it was too late. She passed away in transit. All the other deaths. Oscar, my first cat, a tabby, an orange-haired loudmouth after my own heart, weakened down and flattened out by cancer. Gratefully honored, I got to hold him as he breathed his last breaths and let go. Homage for Oscar, homage for the others. Every other death, startling me awake in the middle of the night after a deep sleep. I'd almost even forgotten your name. Echo of Euphrates, affectionately otherwise known as Euphrates Cat, black and white tuxedo cat appearing at the foot of my bed, a memory so faint and painfully tucked away I hadn't thought of Euphrates in ages. I hadn't been capable of allowing myself to bear that. It hurt the way he disappeared, vanished without a trace, leaving me behind with an ironic urban legend devised to ease the sting the way he was whisked away in broad daylight. Tanken for me, without me there to save him, say goodbye, or hold him one last time. I can't sleep for another good while after having been roused by this spectral presence. Euphrates reawakens a deep, aching longing in me, just out of reach, near my bed, but unable to crawl in. All the other deaths, and there were more, 
More and more, knocking on the door of my locked up, locked away heart, barging in and marching forth. The kittens underwater, the pistol to the canine skull, beheaded turkeys and chickens, mishandled guinea pigs, the children, the elders, the masses, assassinated spiders, ants stomped upon or burned, slaughtered livestock, the accidents, dehydrated tortoises, neglected <laughs> pet snakes, the friends who have preceded me, leaving me here gobsmacked, the ones who left home to roam that never came back. Like a death shroud, I had folded these memorials and tucked them away deep in abyss in the furthermost corner of the bottom drawer of my denial and deferral until the memento mori had become covered up again, then omitted. Tit for tat, the grief springs back like the skin upon death's head pared open again, peeled back to reveal fillings of helplessness in <coughs> me, brought back every other death before that. Wonder what other entombed deaths are still yet to come a-haunting me. Do we have some other readers who'd like to come on up? Okay. And would you give us a little intro? Yes. Pardon me if I speak slowly. As I've gotten older, I found myself weighing every word. <laughs> wow. You never know which one is going to be your last. <laughs> but um, I'm Steve Proskauer, and um, I've led a lot of lives in this body. Uh, the most consistent one was as a psychiatrist and psychotherapist, something I still practice, and uh, also uh, a Zen Buddhist monk and and um, um, a writer of short stories and poetry and and going on three novels now. But I wanted to say something about time and the creative process. Maybe you've noticed this. Um, particularly people who write poetry about the moment, that um, you, you might ask yourself, why does this moment catch me and uh, cause me to unpack it into a poem, whereas that moment just passed by? And I've been thinking, why, why should that happen? And the poem I'm going to read, it's a very short poem, but it captures one of those moments which grab you and insist that you do something with it. It's like the mind or the soul or something in you has been preparing the way. And then suddenly this moment comes and it's the spark that ignites a fire that you've been building sometimes for years. So I'll read the poem. Mother at 90, holding her teacup with wrinkled, mottled hands, she gazes at the empty space between my wife and me, turning her life over and over like a coin she found, or a curious shell picked up on the beach. She casually crosses the line between musing and monologue. She summons events and people long gone. They fade as fast into shadows. Mother's uncensored soliloquy pours out 
as if we did not exist, as if it were suddenly safe after a lifetime to crack the outer gates of her heart's stone citadel. I never loved anyone in my life, she declares. Her face does not change. Do I even raise my eyebrow? <laughs> She's admitting what I have sensed all my life. Something falls into place, like the click of a lock. When my mother rises and hobbles to the door, I see a withering old woman, crippled outside and in. Somehow she has survived, and so have I. Thank you. Hey all, my name is Jeremy, and I've lived here for about 10 years. Uncommon time, right? with a lot of common things in different amounts. And so the poems I thought to share, share two short poems, are both about a friend who about this time last year, uh, I said goodbye to and then he passed away shortly thereafter. And then this past June, we celebrated him. Uh, and this first poem I wrote, it's a poem, I wrote as part of his memorial service. So this is more about him, a bit about our relationship. The second poem will be about one that I wrote this summer when passing through the place in Montana, the valley, the Shields Valley, if anyone's ever been there, Shields Valley, Montana, um, watching a storm move in. So these two are about grief. One morning we walked out into a field where any number of creatures had been the night before. By land and by air we could see traces of what they'd sought and what they'd gained or lost in seeking. There were sharp things pushing out of the ground, the kind of growth that pulls you to hand and knee before entering every fingertip offering you the choice to swear or to stand. There were stacks of things fed to herds of things, tall and geometric, anomalous and persistent, hemorrhaging the horizon. There were long perimeters strung with wire, designed for another purpose, but perfect, we found, for walking away from home without ever leaving. There were misplaced things or displaced things. There were things very intentionally placed in apparently unusual ways. For a time, there was a desk and behind it a wig with a man underneath. From the point of view of home, you wouldn't necessarily see all of the strange things on account of the stacks of things, but if on a morning you walked out into the field, you might find yourself answering your own questions before they were asked. Are you the ground now, Billy? Everything that grows underfoot and everything that grapples with the sky? If I tried, would I know you in the leaves that cut or the cut that feeds? Are you mycelial, laying pathways we've not realized but have discussed at length? Are you ether, building storms with airs of curious expression drawn from the corners of a faceless smile? How do we appear from what you are now? Does new growth offer familiar vantage? How ought it feel to be the grain in a knot in the wood of the desk behind which one man sits offering questions and another stares smiling, tickled? Is this memory? And if so, in which direction does it flow? I heard a woman speak recently. She spoke of loss and of snow. The one inevitable, the other a metaphor we can touch. If one truly loves or is loved, she said, then those things which they've inhabited bear our love forward for us. If the snow falls and we recall the way they love the falling snow, are we not still in their love, blanketed? My recollections of Billy are living, standing long upon the threshold of a garage door open to everything, walking out into a field to face the rising sun and all that grows on its cord, hearing wings overhead and moving one's entire body to witness flight, ephemeral notes written in permanent marker on a twilight wall. 
somewhere just beyond where we can see there is a road closed for some inexplicable act of construction which prevents us ever leaving this place. Because even when we do get into our imaginary cars and drive impossible distances, the love that actualizes truth means we stay. Three points of origin converge as a cylinder, reaching over the shields toward the crazies, reforming as one. I am seated on a porch facing the past in the form of three storms as I advance, thinking, as I do only in these moments, death undoes separation. Back into earth where spoken is light. I am electric because, in this moment, my body dissipates with the suddenness of rain. Belief pours from me like certainty that you are here, in this, outside in this. I learned what storms become when I lived here. How they appear to move slowly from afar, how they stall the future, hold it, confront it with cool air, first still, then wild. How you can see them at a remove, anticipating delay, counting off time like rhythm. How when they darken starlight, you feel the air, feel the air across your body and the pulse beneath your skin. Storms speak to the dead through fissures in the ether, expressed in waves which crash across an upturned landscape, flipped of its grain and draining the perceptions of our loss. But it is all here. We are all accounted for in the cracks in the sky which have built all day but come on so sudden. I'm Bill Rao. I live in Castle Valley. Uh, my wife Susan read earlier. I'm happy to be here. And um, my father was a navigator on a B-24 during World War II. Um, his plane was shot down and he was killed uh, over what is now Croatia in January 1945, four months before the war in Europe ended. I knew very little about him. Um, I tried to talk to my mother very quickly. I learned that it was too upsetting her to talk about him. Um, but as I got older, um, I wanted to know more about who was this person. and. I had been only two years of age, and there's a couple of photos I have, but I know nothing, knew nothing about him. I still know very, very little, um, because I've done some research about the bomb group he was in, about targets. Um, I could write about that forever, but it's, I really wanted to try to find something out about my father. Um, it didn't happen, except bits and pieces. But I wrote this um, little thing. Uh, primarily for my daughters, so they would have some sense of uh, where they spring from as well. So this is um, an excerpt from the postscript of that. The war never ended for some. Most of the air and ground crews that survived until May 1945 came back to the United States, restarting their civilian lives. However, my mother could hardly face the death of my father. She was allowed a minimal time for grieving. Her father, especially an unemotional man as I remember, would have little patience with her. My mother eventually remarried in 1947. I think she was not deeply happy with her new husband, perhaps comparing the two men. But when her sec second husband died in 1960, the unresolved grief and the fantasy fantasy she had carried of what might have been came back in psychotic waves over a period of 25 years that I was aware of perhaps even longer. 
I remember getting a phone call when in college from my mother. She told me my father was still alive. She had glimpsed him while shopping. I was stunned. I told her, no, he was dead, killed in the war. She said that she could understand that maybe he didn't want to come back to her, but she was sure he'd want to see me, his son. I didn't know what was going on with her. I had no experience or background in offering support or knowing where to turn. In subsequent years, she would send flowers to Veterans Administration hospitals where she was convinced my father was. Or she would leave home and drive for hours to such a facility to ask about him. She felt that others in her and his family knew he was still alive. She could not understand why they were keeping the truth from her. She wrote letters to the Department of Defense, Defense asking for details of my father's death, saying she didn't believe he was dead. Responses always affirmed that forensic evidence had confirmed his identity. She even wrote to Presidents Truman and Ford asking them into Jack's status. Jack was my father. Research has shown that in many cases where relatives do not view a body, the imagination can fill in. In my mother's case, even though my father's remains were eventually returned to the United States and a burial service was held at his neighborhood church, it was obviously a closed casket. When the remains were returned to the U.S. in 1949, extensive decomposition would have occurred. Personal recognition would have been impossible. But not seeing meant, over time, not believing. My mother's imagination turned to fantasy, and she acted on the fantasy. For her, war continued long after Germany surrendered. It's KZMU Moab Community Radio. Um, that was an excerpt, almost almost the entire event of Uncommon Time held at Back of Beyond Books in partnership with the Moab Arts and Recreation Center um, way back in October. Um, thank you to the poets who allowed us to broadcast their readings. Um, that was pretty exciting for us here at KZMU. And if you want to hear them again or are interested in um, listening back to this program, you can find our archives at kzmu.org. You can hear Art Talks on the airwaves at KZMU every third Monday of the month at 4 p.m.